Hello there. Welcome to Streamed and Screened, a podcast distributed by Lee Enterprises about new movies and TV shows just over the horizon that are worth your time. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter from multiple decades who is now the editor of the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Bruce. Hello from Yoda. You know what I want to talk about before we even get going? Batman. Well, we'll get to there. We'll get to there. <laughs> the show is... The show is also hosted by <laughs> show is also hosted by Jared McNett, a reporter for the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Jared. I can be cruel, poetic, or blind. But you'll be very just. And it's also hosted by me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. Uh, this week we're gonna be talking uh, some like Batman stuff as as Bruce is excited to do. Uh, we've got Turning Red, the new Disney Plus movie that's coming out. We've got a uh, fresh coat of paint on a 10-year-old documentary about Joe Exotic that predates Tiger King by quite some time, and uh, just some other other fun odds and ends. Uh, you can find links to the movies that we talk about in the show notes. You can also smash that subscribe button and find info about us, uh, all, all that. But uh, Bruce really, really wants to talk about Batman. I do, because this I think this is a great thing. I sat through all three hours of Batman without having to go to the bathroom or the bat room, if you'd like to uh, use the um, the whatever. Sure. <laughs> the bathroom I was code. Surprised though, because here's the deal. When they get boring, you go, mm, I guess I should go to the bathroom. It's about time. And this is kind of a slow spot. So let's just go. And it isn't necessarily that you need to run to the bathroom. It's that, you know, it'll fill the time and I get one more thing done before the movie is over. But this one held my interest the whole way. I was thrilled with what I saw. And I think it's a good reboot for um, the franchise. I don't want them to start picking off though all those villains at some point and you know, say, well, we've got to have this one in now and we've got to have that one in now. And apparently Oscar Isaac was supposed to be Two-Face and they cut the part out so they could put it in another one. And it's like, ah. Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Jared, have you had a chance to see Batman? I did. I went and saw it on uh, on Thursday night, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed it all the way through, too. Well before the movie even came out, I talked about how stacked of a cast it was, and top to bottom, everyone in that cast absolutely delivered, with a special focus, I would say, on Paul Dano, of course, who... Super fan numero uno, Jared McNett. <laughs> Yes, of Paul Dano. I've held stock in uh, Paul Dano Enterprises for a long time. Yeah, his intro in that movie is easily the creepiest like scene in any Batman movie ever. I don't even think there's much of a competition for that. The way he's introduced is just horrifying. But for me, the MVP of any of the villains anyway was uh, John Turturro. Just like a cold and like cool kind of menace. And what they did with his character where he's this guy that has all this power, but he basically is just stuck in his bar the whole time was a nice little uh, touch that I appreciated too. So Dano and Turturro for me were the biggest ones and, and Pattinson was really good. And I almost wish there was even less of him as Bruce Wayne and just as Batman. That would be the only complaint from the character perspective for me. I would second everything you said. I think Turturro was a, a very unexpected bright spot in there. Uh, but also Colin Farrell as as the Penguin was absolutely fantastic. Given Spanish lessons. Yeah, just a you know perfect uh, mobbed up psychopath. 
Uh, it was fantastic. And also the, the makeup on that, he just completely blends into, and I'm sure that there are people that have seen the movie that didn't put it together. That that's Colin Farrell. If you went and saw that movie and had no idea that he was in that movie and you were familiar with Colin Farrell, you probably could watch that without even knowing that's him. Yep. I'm really excited for, for the Colin Farrell as uh, penguin show that will eventually be coming out on HBO max and really excited with the, the direction of this. And I know Bruce, you referred to it as a reboot, which I mean, it is in its, in its way. And I think the, the timeline works where it kind of fits together with Joker uh, somewhat seamlessly. So it's possible that they could overlap their universes, but it's not necessarily a guarantee that that's how that'll work with that being said in the eighties and there being a young Bruce Wayne matching up with this movie set in 2022 with a 30 something Batman. Yeah. I was, I was really, really happy with it. And just, just like Bruce said, at no point did I, did my attention flag and I was very impressed with the attention to detail and also really making the the dark and brooding aspects of it earned where it wasn't just Batman is dark and brooding and we're just going to kind of leave it at that and this really put a lot of that in context both through the plot as well as the the way that the character was portrayed you know i thought there was a real godfather vibe to all of it and I thought that uh, John Turturro's character looked like the guy who used he had the horse's head in his bed. Yep. He seemed like that. Okay, I see. There's a uh, there's a kind of a parallel here, and it had that same kind of color palette where the rooms were almost too dark, where you wondered what's going on here. What's what's this all about? But I enjoyed that. The thing I was I I realized later was that we never saw Bruce Wayne for quite a while. It was a lot of Batman, and then you go who's this goth guy who's who's uh, Bruce Wayne? He looks real kind of, what's up with that? Yeah, and Robert Pattinson, I think, you know, you can see where probably they had to do some reshoots or they had to talk to him about things and say, okay, let's try it this way. Let's see what's going on. Because he does fit in there, but he doesn't stand out to me as one of those, oh my God, he's the best guy ever as Batman. That I didn't get, but I'm okay with that. That's fine because he will wear well for the long haul if he's going to do more. Yeah. I mean, it seems like this movie did a lot of the things that I want superhero movies of big IP uh, intellectual property that's already been established to do, which is skip the origin story. We don't need it. We don't need to see, you know, Thomas and, and Martha Wayne get shot in crime alley again, which if you're, you know, some of the richest people in the city, maybe stay away from crime alley. <laughs> Don't go to the movies. You guys are really Monday morning quarterbacking this. And it's, it's, it's unfair to the Wayne family. They, they suffered a tragedy, you know? It's true. It's true. Uh, it skips the, the origin story. And well, it really sinks you into the, the heart of the plot. Yeah. And it makes the city a character as well. Gotham City becomes another one of the evil forces within your uh, storytelling. Zoe Kravitz was good. Right up and down the line, you can say they did their thing. And whoever did the makeup, I'm putting you out there. You better be on for next year's list because I couldn't figure out who half those people were half the time. So we're all fans of, of the Batman. The Batman. 
and I'm intrigued to see how how they how, how they roll forward with this. You know, if this is going to be the new franchise where it's going to be the Batman part two or chapter two or year three or whatever it is. I would say that um, I don't necessarily need uh, sequels to this movie, like in the same world, um, because I think it's good enough. as like a standalone movie. But if they do make sequels, which it seems like they're going to, you could do a lot, lot worse than having Matt Reeves do those, considering he did the Planet of the Apes movies. And each one of those, honestly, in my opinion, was successfully better than the last one with the final one war for the Planet of the Apes being like one of my favorite big budget action movies of the past 10 years or so. So if, if they do go that route, it's in pretty good hands, it would seem. They're better off doing director's visions yeah. than trying to make them all link together like Marvel does. That's like, no, don't do the same thing. We don't care that they connect. Let them be separate. And I would get really quirky directors and let them have at it, you know? Let's see somebody do Superman in the right way. Yeah, I think they've finally started to realize that with like this and with like the Joker movie and even doing a new rebooted like Suicide Squad. I think the people at DC are maybe finally understanding that trying to connect all this and everything is stupid because we don't have the head start that Marvel's had on this. So we have to do something else. Yeah. I think, I mean, a lot of the, the DC characters in general function a lot better as abstracted concepts that you just kind of build an interesting rogues gallery around specifically, you know, I mean, like you say, you know, Batman or Superman, and there are very specific ideas and images and all of that, that, uh, you know, is cut loose from the idea of plotting or this, you know, really tight backstory and how everything connects together unlike marvel where everything is just i mean part of the the attraction to marvel is just watching all of the pieces kind of come together in this larger way and batman something where you should be able to just make a batman movie and just have it be out there you know and i feel like joker did that and this did that and both are you know excelled in their ways if you were trying to explain some of the later Marvel movies to someone in terms of like the plot or whatever, it would take you minutes to try to explain versus a lot of the Batman movies, even, you know, a couple into the Nolan franchise or with this one, this one, you can basically just say there's a serial killer on the loose and Batman is trying to stop the serial killer that's on the loose. Bing, bang, boom. There's your, there's your plot. That's all you need to tell people. Yeah. I mean, anyone should be able to be Batman, you know, or you can, you should be able to recast that lead and just set it at, whatever time the actual you know comic books have done a whole lot of you know playing around with that there's a really great book called gotham by gaslight which doesn't even really explain why but it's just oh it's batman solving the yeah yeah so yeah it's uh there's a lot that you can do where you just kind of throw these these character tropes out there and you don't need to invest in all this, you know, recontextualization around them and having this really sturdy, well thought out origin story. You know what I'd like to see is a Superman that never shows Superman and that you do it just from the con uh, concept of being in the newsroom. You know, you got this guy there that we all are kind of wondering about, is he Superman? Or and I'd like to just see how they would cover the story. If we're at the Daily Planet, Clark Kent is working there. He's trying to get the story just as much as everybody else is. Lois Lane is, but you never see Superman. 
And then you have, maybe they go off on a tangent and think this guy is nuts. Who is this guy? You know, it might be fascinating, might be something different because they always have to have that, that stupid cape, you know, breezing in the wind and, and looking like, oh, I'm really, we're capturing something here that's just, you know, it's visual. But they've done that. Like you want to sit in on pitch beatings with, <laughs> with yeah. J. Jonah Jameson? <laughs> well, you just see and they go, now, uh, Superman going to be the uh, A1 story today? You know, no, we're sick of Superman. Not going to happen. He didn't do anything today. Let's not do that story. It's funny to think about because if something like Superman existed in the real world, that should always be on the front page because you basically have a literal god in your world doing stuff. <laughs> right. But you know how you say the audience, we're losing the audience here. Superman, we've either got to find some dirt on him or whatever, but I don't think we need to lead with Superman tomorrow. We'll just hold it. He can go on the inside somewhere. So we like Batman. And to change things up a little bit, I guess, to jump down a few uh, few levels in, in the MPAA ratings, Bruce, you have seen Turning Red, the new Pixar movie. Yeah, and it's, I think it's going directly. It's not going to theaters first, but it's really, really pitched at about 13-year-old girls. This little girl is like going through changes in life and whatnot, and it becomes, you know, how she deals with these changes and how she deals with her mother, basically. Her mother is very um, controlling and demanding that she gets good grades. She doesn't do anything wrong. I mean, you could... It, you can practically see that this was made for bringing a group of Girls Inc. people to it, to go and see this and, and um, you know, get something out of it. But they've done so many boy-centric shows that I think it is good to have one that's like this. And they're cute characters. They're just kids, basically. It has a very Wallace and Gromit look to me. Um, the characters have those kind of, you know, those, those kind of plastic faces where they can make goofy gestures and whatnot. I, it's just... It's good. I don't know necessarily that I need it. But the fun thing, too, is that it has a boy band in it for town. And when you look at the credits, you'll see that there are people in there that you go, oh, so that's who the voices were. So that's kind of an interesting little tidbit. And I wouldn't doubt that one of the songs is going to be a contender for best song because it, you know, it is what it is. And this was directed by Dami Shi who did bow. Yeah, and you can see there's even a bow reference. You see them serving up the little biscuit thing. Dumplings. Yeah, it's cute, but it's one of those things that you can see where they they thought, well, are we gonna make any money off this or let's just really kind of release it to our streaming service and we'll get a good audience. Do you feel like, like, like that's happening because they just don't have faith that they're gonna get as big an audience in the theaters with you know kids not being vaccinated, or at least like at the time when they were planning all of this, the idea of getting, you know, children vaccinated was still a ways off and, you know, not on the table. I think the concept is very niche. So the idea of putting it out in theaters and then risking, oh, it didn't do well. It'll do well, but I think it needs it, its audience. And that says something too about, about their streaming services. They want to make sure that it has good content on it, but it doesn't necessarily have to be so broad that it's going to bring in a ton of money. Yeah. And the, the plot of it is a 13 year old girl uh, turns into a big panda, big panda, red whenever, panda. whenever she experiences intense emotions, which 
I wasn't a 13 year old girl, but I was certainly a 13 year old and <laughs> intense emotions are <laughs> pretty constant around then. Yeah, I, I found that there was just not that much there for boys to latch on to. I don't know that they could really go, oh, I want to go see that. That would be good. Let's go see the period movie. And I don't know that they would they would care necessarily. The pandas morph at different points. And there's this big concert that's coming up that the girls want to go to. And that kind of triggers a lot of things and then brings discussions to a head. But I enjoyed it. So story-wise, anyway, very different movies otherwise. I have to make that clear up front. Just because you might like Turning Red doesn't necessarily mean you'll like the movie I'm about to recommend. But story-wise, something that is very uh, similar to this is there's a Canadian horror movie from the 2000s that's very good called Ginger Snaps that's basically also about these two girls. I think it's two girls. It's been a little while since I've seen the movie who are also going through puberty in that case, the, the metaphor is that they start turning into werewolves and they're killing other people like in their school and in their town. And it's a really good, really fun horror movie. So if you like uh, that particular way of talking about like stuff that uh, teenagers are going through, Ginger Snaps is kind of worth a watch. But again, not the same vibes as a uh, animated Disney movie. <laughs> well, and Pen15 on Hulu, you know, that same kind of turf. And I think that's a more adult version than this is. I think this is a good way for families to have a discussion if they want to have a discussion. And then, you know, when the little girl's kind of mean and nasty to everybody, it can help explain why she is how she is. I know we've talked about the thing about Pam a lot, but this is finally, we, we are at the episode where it, it makes the most sense to talk about. So you want to kick it off a little bit, Bruce? I know that you've seen, have you seen the full run or just a few? No, episodes? I haven't seen the end of it. No, haven't seen the end of it. But it's based on a Dateline um, report. The most popular episode of Dateline apparently ever. Apparently, Pam has been on several times. She hasn't been on just once or twice. She's been kind of a continuing storyline for them. And they did a podcast about it. And the podcast kind of combined all these together into one. And this is their first foray into turning those kinds of stories into a fictionalized, is that the term I want to use? It's a, uh, it's definitely has a point of view. Um, whereas if you were doing a, a, a more straightforward account of a murder mystery, you probably wouldn't do some of the things they do. And Renee Zellweger liked the idea that they were, it was so bizarre she wanted to be in it right away. So she became an executive producer and she's, she's Pam in the, uh, in the series. And it, you know, I would like to talk to the people who are portrayed and see how they feel. That's just my take on it because I don't know that I would want to be at the whims of a creative person. And then my, you know, my reputation is kind of based on that. We see that all the time with TV movies and, made for, uh, you know, adaptations of things. The Blind Side is a real good example of that. Um, the football player says that, you know, really isn't the story, but it plays well, it looks good on a screen and people want to believe that's what the story is. Green Book is another great example of the subject matter. Green Book is another example. Not liking it. it. You know, I don't know if I would want to play that fast and loose with somebody's life story. But they do. It seems like Fargo in a way. It seems like um, Itania in another way. And 
you know, if you can go into it and just know that um, I'm laughing, but I'm laughing for a different reason. Well, I mean, we've, we got a podcast, so we can totally, you know, set up an interview, get them on the show, Bruce. Yeah, there you go. Call them them up. Get them booked. Come on, folks. I want to know the true story. And so the thing about Pam is on Hulu uh, on March 9th, uh, it'll also be on Peacock, all of the the NBC related stuff. And uh, Turning Red will be on Disney Plus on March 11th. Jared, what's jumping out at you for this week? HBO still trying to, uh, I guess, find a, a newer version of when uh, Brian Gumble used to do his uh, sports show that was so popular on HBO, you know, a much more serious, yeah, a much more serious kind of, you know, conversation and look about sports. And a lot of the other networks have tried to do versions of that over the years. ESPN has done that on like Sundays with their like different, you know, long-term newspaper type people talking about the sports news in a more serious way. And uh, this time around, they're going to be doing it with uh, someone who I'm, actually quite a big fan of as a uh, podcaster and as a writer and just a commentator. And that's uh, Bomani Jones, who was uh, with ESPN for a number of years. He um, got his, I wouldn't say a start. He's, he's gotten his start kind of on his own, but he boosted his uh, name recognition working with uh, Dan Levitard, who's another really good uh, sports journalist and has his own little uh, fiefdom down in uh, Miami. And I'm just uh, interested to see a show kind of centered around him because uh, Bomani Jones is a really smart guy. Um, he's, he's very funny and he knows his stuff when it comes to, to sports. And it's not just going to be the kind of thing that um, you see on Twitter all the time, which is guys just coming up with the most insane takes um, possible just so they can get uh, reactions and engagements and stuff like that. So it's not going to be a uh, like Stephen A. Smith or um, that kind of show. So I, I'm interested to check that out. Although I should note that before this, the last time around that uh, HBO tried to do one of these, they tried to do a show like this with uh, Bill Simmons on their network. And that one flopped after like maybe six episodes. I don't even know if it was that long or not. So there's definitely an uphill battle for it, but I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. And then uh, Dune is coming back onto, onto HBO on March 10th. What do we feel like is some of these things coming back onto streaming or hitting streaming for the first time, like uh, West Side Story, are these moving the needle at all? I know that I think heading into it, it seemed like something that would just on paper move the needle for Oscar buzz. Uh, And it seems like there was a certain amount of that that happened with West Side Story. But is is it possible possibly going to elevate Dune a little bit? What do you think, Bruce? All those awards that it's going to win are going to be presented in other ceremonies earlier in the evening. So I don't know that the average person is going to care. And I'm sure that everybody who is voting has already seen it at least once and doesn't need it one more time. So I think this is just a way that if it does get a little buzz, if it does get something from like winner of four Academy Awards, there's a place to go find it. Theoretically, some of this could help on the margins because I think final voting doesn't end for like another week or so, something like that. Like 17th through the 22nd, I think is when the final voting for the, uh, the Oscars is completely done with. So Bruce is right. A lot of these movies, people have probably already seen screeners of, or have gone to the theaters and seen, but 
you know, if they haven't, maybe streaming is finally what gets them as a lazy voter to to watch and then uh, cast their vote. So, yeah. And I mean, it does seem like HBO Max is still trying to handle the really horrible way that they were uh, rolled out. And they're still trying to kind of catch up and say, this is our identity. And if you want to watch Dune, the multi Oscar award winning film Dune, which it's going to win, you know, a whole bunch of the, the technical yeah, stuff. Like, yeah. Like you were saying, Bruce. So, you know, they can say it's likely not in theaters where you're at. So you should subscribe to HBO. The one that you would really see a bump with is drive my car. And that's one that would be good to sit at home. You can pause it when you need to so that you're not sitting there for three, three plus hours. Um, you know, if you if you need some help with the, the subtitles and whatnot, it's and I think that's a good one that I think will benefit from having it on uh, streaming. But um, you'll hear buzz about it and then you'll say, maybe I should watch that thing. Maybe I should go look at that one. So there are benefits to it. But the average Joe is not sitting there going, oh, my God, I got to check off my whole list of the Oscars. There's just goons like us that would look there and say, I've got to watch all of the films that are nominated before the Oscars. I've got to do that. And that's not the way the average person plays a game at all. You know, it's like if I oh, with that coda, I hear some things about coda. Well, maybe we should watch that tonight. And it's within the time frame that you go, yeah, it's not that long. Let's watch it. I will say, and I've talked about versions of this before, how in the past I would have never believed that, you know, a movie would come out in like streaming or like in physical media, like a couple months after it was in theaters, because that used to be the case that it was, it, it would be a year a lot of times until like those came out in like physical media. And another version of that that is kind of uh, weird for me to watch considering the way things used to be is the fact that a lot of these are coming to like home video or like streaming before the Oscars had even happened, which in the past, a lot of times they waited to put that stuff out on physical media or, you know, on streaming until after the Oscars because they had that push for it where they can be like, oh, this one, all this stuff, now go and buy it from us at, you know, Walmart or whatever, or watch it on some platform somewhere. So even that has been kind of strange to see that shift. What it's making, though, is everybody have the same access that the people who are voting and the people who are, are critiquing these things that never happened before. There would be many years where you'd go, well, I don't even know the names of these films. I've never heard of them before. They haven't been in our town because they would do that two week thing they needed to do in Los Angeles, and New York. And then you'd see it somewhere around February or March, which could be well after the Oscar ceremony. So now it's evening the playing field so we all can be just as up on everything as, as they are. Which is, is weird for that leveling, uh, and, and, which I think is good too, the leveling of the playing field like that is happening. It's weird that that's happening at the same time as like ratings for the Oscars never being lower than they have been in the recent past. So that's kind of a strange one too there of more people know about these movies, but at the same time, fewer people are watching the ceremonies dedicated to them. I was watching that um, Lucille Ball special on, on the documentary on Amazon. And I thought, I gotta go look up that last appearance she made because she was on the Oscars in like 89 and she and Bob Hope came out and they introduced future Oscar winners. 
And it was like maybe 15 actors who were singing and dancing this really bad production number. And I'm thinking, look, they allowed them to do this crap back in the day. And a, one of them was Connie Stevens' kid. And there's Blair Underwood singing. And you go, Blair Underwood is singing. Uh, Patrick Dempsey did a really pretty good song and dance thing. But it was like none of them, none of them were Oscar winners, not even nominees. And this was the big thing that they were pushing back in the day when they needed to add filler to the show. So if you want to look it up, go to YouTube. Just look for Lucille Ball and um, and Bob Hope. I think it's called Stars of Tomorrow. And you, you it's interesting. It's very interesting and kind of funny. That uh, prediction rate that you were explaining that Bruce was some of the actors that were featured in that makes me think of, uh, I don't know if they still do it or not, but one of the hip-hop magazines, Double XL, used to always do a freshman of the year thing where they'd have a bunch of different up-and-coming rappers. And there are a lot of years where you can look at those now, and it's people that went nowhere, like, after they got, like, announced as, like, the next big thing. So watching that for the Oscars, where it's a whole, like, musical number would be really funny to go back and check it out. But it's like the, you know, the kiss of death with the Grammys. If you get that newcomer award, good luck. Real quick before we we throw to the interview, I'll mention there is a new documentary from the BBC, uh, Louis Theroux shooting Jill Exotic. Uh, Louis Theroux, who is uh, one of one of my favorite interviewers, documentarian uh, types, embeds himself in really weird places and has been doing so for twenty plus years now. And all the way back in two thousand eleven. He had a show on the BBC that an episode was called America's Most Dangerous Pets, where he went and and hung out with Joe Exotic for a while. Uh, And obviously, Joe Exotic is back in the news with the the show on Peacock. So for this Louis Thoreau uh, shooting Joe Exotic, it's going to be older footage from 2011 plus uh, new interviews with Joe Exotic's legal team, former colleagues, his brother, and also uh, Howard and Carol Baskin as well. I don't really care about the, the show, honestly. <laughs> but I like the, um, I will watch just about anything that Louis Thoreau is involved in. So I will probably take this uh, with a, an, an appropriate uh, grain of salt and use that as my uh, get out of jail free card, maybe for the, the new uh, Joe versus Carol show which premiered over this weekend, this past weekend. You know, I'm so over Joe Exotic. He was very good. He was good for the beginning of the pandemic, okay? But you know what else I liked at the beginning of the pandemic and I haven't heard a thing? Floor is Lava. Where is that? Yeah, bring that back. For real, bring that back. I, Remember it's a good that? show, bring it back. Yeah, bring it back. Because I thought, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to see if I can walk through my house without stepping on the floor. And that held my interest just as much as Joe Exotic did. So, you know, here it is, folks. Bring it back. Joe versus Carol versus Freddie versus Jason. There you go. That'll be the next uh, show they can do. Last April, Flores Lava was renewed for a second season. So it doesn't take that much to do. I, it's easy I agree. It seems like the kind of thing that they could just churn out like they do, you know, Jeopardy and these other, you know, primetime game shows where they shoot, you know, six of them in a day. And <laughs> right. 
Come on. Just, I'm just imagining like them doing like that Jeffrey style sh- that shooting schedule and them having to have the team that just like resets the whole course after everybody gets done with it. What a deadening job that would be. <laughs> Can you imagine the smell in the place? I'd rather not. Just a thought. <laughs> so speaking of, of animals, we've got uh, Power of the Dog, still a front runner in director and Best picture, I think, according at least to all of the the prognosticators at goldderby.com. A lot of time to change, but one of the uh, the actors Bruce was able to to talk with. You want to set this up? Well, the uh, the whole race has been really power the dogs to lose for the whole year, and um, just recently we've seen kind of a, a chink in that armor. But the ones that you always hear that they mention is Jane Campion, best director. And Cody Smith McPhee as best supporting actor. He plays the little boy or the young man in, in the drama. And he's very quiet throughout, but he's key to the resolution of the whole story. I talked with him on Sunday about what this whole experience is like. What is it like to be going through the Oscar time? What is it like, you know, dealing with this kind of big attention? And also what he still thinks about Peter, his character. I said, what would Peter be doing? So here's a chance for you to get to get to talk to him. And then you find out what Oscar night's going to be like for him. So have a listen because he's lots of fun and very, very nice. Definitely stick around for that in just a second. But we can throw to Jared if you want to you want to take us out uh, for this for this chunk. What you need to do is you need to get on whatever weird uh, social app it is that they uh, have in Gotham that the Riddler has like 500 followers on. You need to be on that app also. I don't know what it's called. Maybe it's uh, called Riddler, but without the E because, you know, social media platforms love doing that. Whatever that platform is, you need to get on there. You need to round up a bunch of your friends, not the kind of friends uh, that are going to put combat masks on and uh, go terrorize an arena, but you need to round up the kind of friends that are going to go to the movie theaters with you and see something good. See something good. Thank you so much. Next up is Cody Smith McPhee. Cody, congratulations. What is his time like? Is it just bizarre? Yeah, bizarre is a word for it. That's for sure. It's very chaotic, but I mean, there's a lot of positive energy in the world. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's very good. Did you have any idea what this would be like? This whole kind of award season, as they like to call it? I mean, obviously you get a taste when it comes to the high volume of press that you know you do for for films and stuff like that but no absolutely uh, i don't think anything can prepare you for the moment of being included and, and recognized in such a way yeah it's it's very special you know uh, when you've been talking a lot about your character about the film all of that what have you learned what have you learned about yourself even in the process of all of this I would have to say in, in talking about the character, there's not so much that I learned, but rather in the experience in and of itself of playing the character and working alongside Jane, having the privilege to be guided by her and put my complete trust in her and just kind of explore new territory in terms of character development and, and just push the boundaries of my comfort zone. You know, I, I learned a lot in that process. And uh, if anything, in talking about it, it's just, it's just affirming that for me and kind of letting me revisit the joy of such moments. Did you start thinking, what would happen to Peter after all of this? Have you, you know, figured out where his life would go? I have thought about that a little bit. I mean, I honestly feel like 
I honestly feel like he would have just gone on to be a successful surgeon and this would just have been another little drama of his past. You know, just watching it, I learned that probably I need to be quieter during <laughs> the course of a just a life, you know, and you're, he really taught me a lot and I didn't think I was going to learn anything from anybody. And when you see that, you think, you know, there's a, a lot of power in just being quiet. Absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've I've had to learn that in my own life because there's a lot of traits um, of Peter that that are parallel to mine, whether it's his physicality or the things uh, kind of out of the box that he's interested in. Um, he's okay with being isolated, but behind all of that, which a lot of people in my own experience seem to judge as naive or weak or you know brittle at times, there's a a very rooted, grounded pride and confidence in the self and an unwavering spirit in the face of adversity as much as I've faced a lot of it um, as he has you know there's there's a lot in being quiet yeah you see that that you know you think he's the weakest one in the room and you realize he's actually the strongest one he's the one who's in power and that's such a great discovery I think that we get from the film fantastic discovery and I think it's, it holds a very good message you know you don't you don't have to feel forced to to fit in a box, um, and even if you haven't decided which box you want to you want to aim for, I mean, being outside of it is completely okay as well. When you have a film like this on your resume, where do you go from there? I mean, you know, God, this is a, a once in a lifetime experience. Um, it really is. Yes, I will say that, and um, I can only be privileged and 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 grateful every day uh, for the reminders of that. But just like always, I'm keep, uh, you know, trotting along with with passion and um, not thinking too far ahead. You know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And I, I speak of the process in regard to that, like, uh, you know, material that that comes to me figuratively on my doorstep. Um, that's the that's the beautiful side of it. A hunt, you know, a hunt to, to work with new collaborators, um, to have new experiences, new relationships and, and keep progressing. So. I've always had that in mind and I'll continue to do that. Well, great. Good luck. We'll be watching. I can hardly wait to see you there. And I know you'll be dressed in something smashing, right? I will be. You know, I'm ready with that. I'm counting on it. You're the new fashion icon, right? Thank you. I'll take that. I'll take it. Okay. Hey, thanks so much, Cody. Appreciate it. Thank you, mate. We will be back next week. You can subscribe, et cetera, find us all over the place and we'll have links and everything in the show notes. And uh, thank you guys so much. We will uh, see you next week with more, more chatter about good things. There you go. Joe versus Carol versus Freddie versus Jason.